0: NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash
1: earnings. Hi, it's Wes Kosova. Today we're starting something new here at The Big Take. It's a special report hosted by my brilliant colleague, Saleha Mosin, Bloomberg's senior Washington correspondent. Each week, Saleha will bring you original reporting and insights on the most important people, issues, and ideas that will shape the 2024 US election and how they'll impact policy, politics, and power for years to come, not just in the US, but around the world. Watch this space for a new installment every week thanks so much for listening. And here's Cel A
2: lot of presidents have tried to go big on infrastructure. It's seen as a surefire way to show Americans tangible progress. And President Biden actually managed to pass a massive bill to fix our roads, bridges, airports, and more. You'd think that'd be a pretty clear political win for a president seeking re-election. Not quite. A recent poll of swing state voters that Bloomberg conducted with Morning Consult found that when it comes to infrastructure, more Americans trust former President Trump than Biden. That's a problem for Biden, but it's also a problem for Mitch Landrieu. Landrieu is the White House's infrastructure coordinator. He's in charge of implementing the bipartisan infrastructure law and dispensing its funds.
1: It's $1.2 trillion. That's a lot of money.
2: But is money enough to accomplish the president's goals? Biden has said that beyond fixing crumbling roads and bridges, he also wants this money to prepare the U.S. for natural disasters and extreme weather events, which in the last year alone cost the U.S. economy $145 billion. And Mitch Landrieu has experience dealing with catastrophic events. He was Lieutenant Governor of Louisiana when Hurricane Katrina hit. And later, he oversaw the rebuilding of New Orleans as mayor. Now, Biden is asking him to do something similar, but on a national scale. I sat down with Landry to talk about how he's tackling this monumental task, whether the Biden administration is getting credit on the ground, and what's at stake. I'm senior Washington correspondent Saleya Moson. This is The Big Take from Bloomberg News. Everyone from Louisiana will correct how you pronounce New Orleans. So I kind of knew I was setting myself up for embarrassment.
1: Well, if you go down to New Orleans, you have to call it New Orleans, not New Orleans. <laughs> but we'll cut you a break on that.
2: Landrew comes from a Louisiana political dynasty. His father, Moon Landrew, was mayor of New Orleans in the 70s his sister mary was a senator and it's impossible to talk about mitch lander's current role senior advisor in the biden administration without talking about his years in state and local government in january of 2004 lander was sworn in as louisiana's lieutenant governor in august of 2005 katrina hit we want to update you on the progress of that potentially catastrophic storm hurricane katrina new
3: orleans is a bowl and as the rain continues to fall, and it has been falling all day, the bowl is filling up.
1: I think about it every day. I mean, it was a uh, it was a cataclysmic event. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard. I get choked up even thinking about it right now.
3: New Orleans tonight, a city underwater. The water is continuing to rise, and there may be problems with the levee as well.
1: I was sitting in the emergency operation room while I was a lieutenant governor, and At 2 o'clock in the morning, I was talking to my friend, who was the manager of the Superdome, who I recall very vividly saying to me, Mitch, I've got 25,000 people in this building. The roof is peeling off of the building right now, and I don't
3: know if we're going to survive the night. Thousands may be dead in these floodwaters, and tonight officials at all levels of government are mobilizing to evacuate all 100,000 people still here.
2: Landrew rushed from Baton Rouge back to his hometown of New Orleans he found it virtually unrecognizable.
1: Just seeing everything destroyed in a minute. I mean, we kind of, we lost everything. We lost houses, we lost schools, we lost our our clinics and our hospitals. We lost everything. I mean, literally all gone 17 feet underwater.
2: In the days that followed, Landrew waded through the floodwaters in a boat, helping first responders on rescue missions. His sister, the Senator, gave an interview to CNN at the time.
1: And I understand that people are suffering. I myself have been involved in rescue operations. My brother has been on a boat in New Orleans.
2: In the city's Lower Ninth Ward, a mostly Black neighborhood, residents were stranded on rooftops. Those streets were hit the hardest.
1: Just a complete scene of carnage and desperation here. A very, very sad scene for these people.
2: Landrew got a lot of praise for his work across the state quickly securing federal aid to help rebuild historic buildings. At the end of his first term as lieutenant governor, he ran for mayor of New Orleans, an office he'd failed to secure twice before. But five years after Hurricane Katrina hit, he won, with 66% of the vote. The city he inherited remained broken. Nearly $100 million in deficit, widespread crime, a stagnant economy, homelessness had doubled from pre-Katrina levels, And those with homes struggled to rebuild.
1: And not only did we have Katrina, but we had Rita, we had Ike, we had Gustav, we had the National Recession, we had the the BP oil spill. So just kind of forging through the the fires that we had, we had to learn how to rebuild.
2: Landrew tried to see this as a chance to do a sort of internal audit of the city to figure out what worked and what didn't.
1: Communities, when you're in devastation, all you want to do really is close your eyes and Pray that it was just a dream, and if it wasn't, just to get back like exactly it was before the thing happened. I mean, that's kind of what everybody wants. But you 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 have to ask yourself: Well, do we want to put it back just like it was, or do we have a responsibility to make it better? And how do we make it stronger? And how do we prepare for a new future that's coming that maybe we never built right the first time?
2: Landry got a hold of untapped federal funds, and he got to work. Other than the city's sewerage and water board which remained mired in mismanagement, his administration's record on infrastructure was largely positive. He rebuilt public spaces, roads, and hospitals, all with potential storm risks in mind.
1: Trying to find out how to redesign an emergency response was critically important, which made us think about, well, how, when we build back, how to build back stronger and better.
2: If build back better sounds familiar to you, it's because it was the original language Biden used when proposing a lot of his pandemic recovery programs. Lander is a company guy, in the way that senior advisors to the president kind of have to be. But the task in front of him won't be easy. Let's just consider everything that this law is supposed to address. There are the typical things that you might think of when you hear the word infrastructure. You know, roads, bridges, public transit lines. Our infrastructure is old. A third of American bridges are in need of repair. So are miles and miles of highways and roads. This year, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave the country a C minus on its overall infrastructure. But there's also expanding internet access, dealing with water pollution, cybersecurity, and making the U.S. more climate resilient. The list is really long. You can see how that money, when spread across so many different types of projects, might not actually go that far. So while Biden's $1.2 trillion investment is huge, It's a drop in the ocean. And it's kind of embarrassing to boot. China invests more than that in infrastructure every year.
1: Yeah, no doubt, we're way behind.
2: Yeah, what kind of broader commitment do you think we need for America to be able to compete globally?
1: Well, first of all, more. There's no question about that. This is a massive bill. It's not as much as we need to fix every problem all over America all at one time, but it is a massively good down payment on our future.
2: Here's another constraint. Biden has a very clear idea of how he wants that money spent. Rather than handing each state a wad of cash, the law lays out rules for how to spend it. Like, repairing highways is fine, but expanding them? Not so much. In early 2022, when Biden first announced plans for implementing the infrastructure law, a letter landed on his desk. It was signed by 16 Republican governors.
1: Who said, I disagree that we have to use our money to fix things as opposed to build new highways.
2: Biden had other requirements, too, like prioritizing American-made construction materials and funding projects that benefit communities of color. After the break, how Langer is dealing with these tensions and the newest challenges from Congress on infrastructure spending.
0: Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Welcome back. We've been talking to Senior White House Advisor Mitch Landrew about the trillion-dollar infrastructure package he's helping to deploy. Local leaders and the federal government have different ideas for how to spend the money. I asked Landrew. so how do you juggle when the federal government or what you're looking at is to spend the money one way and you go on the ground and governors and state and local leaders are saying, actually, we need to do this differently?
1: Uh, we, We work with them and we talk with them. I mean, one of the parts of what I call the hard work of governing well requires you to develop good relationships with people. Um, and to work out the differences that you have to try to find an accommodation between what you want and what they want. I haven't gotten a governor or a mayor or a congressman or a senator to tell me that they don't want money in their districts to do these things.
2: The infrastructure bill's passage marked a rare moment of unity in a Congress that's roiled by divisions. But in the two years since it's passed, Republicans, even some who voted for the bill, have talked of cutting that spending. That's one way some in the GOP propose coping with a funding deadline that's looming on November 17th. And if a compromise isn't reached, the government could shut down. Under their new speaker, Mike Johnson, House Republicans have proposed cuts, including some to transportation grant programs and to the operating budgets of things like Amtrak. On Fox News' Sunday Morning Futures last weekend, Johnson praised his party's quick budgeting work. Ready.
3: We're working like a well-oiled machine. We passed one of the appropriations bills uh, just a day after I, I assumed the gavel. Uh,
2: Republicans could be eyeing infrastructure costs in part because this kind of massive overhaul does not come cheap. The Congressional Budget Office estimated that the bipartisan infrastructure law would add $256 billion to the deficit over roughly the next decade. But Democrats have a counterpoint on cost. This investment in updating infrastructure and making it more resilient, it could help save money in the future. This country will continue to face costly natural disasters. Think about California with its wildfires or Florida with its coastal storms. Private insurers are starting to pull out of these states, basically saying, we don't want the risk of covering areas prone to extreme weather. Insurers that do stay are raising premiums. And that brings up another thorny issue. Does the federal government use the same calculus? Is it asking whether it's worth investing in infrastructure in certain places at all? I asked Landru about that. What I'm thinking of is Louisiana. Property insurance rates are really high. A lot of insurers there have gone under. Now that you're in the federal government, when you're looking at a, a, an area, a region, does that factor into how you decide where and how you're going to spend on infrastructure?
1: Not, no, not really. That's really a matter left to Congress with the National Flood Insurance Program and the risk analysis around all of that stuff. Generally, this money gets down to the ground two ways. Half of it, plus a little bit, gets sent right to the governors. The other half of the money actually is given out by grants. And that means that governmental entities like airport authorities, cities, states, they can come apply for the money. Now, There are a couple of examples where some of this money is being used to relocate, but that's generally a community's decision to move or to not move. I just came back from Alaska. I was at uh, the Napakiak village, which is in very north Alaska. And there is a tribal community there that is actually moving from the physical location that they're in now where they're suffering from land loss. But they decided to do that and they asked for funds to help them do that as opposed to the government telling them you have to move.
2: Most vulnerable communities haven't made the choice to leave, including many in Louisiana, and so the government funds are going toward improving their infrastructure. Landrew and others on the Biden team are working hard to show voters how far the funds are going.
1: One of our challenges, one of my responsibilities, is to prove that this really, really works, and we're well on our way to do that. I've been to 110 cities. I've traveled over 100, I don't know, 20,000 miles. To date, we have 38,000 projects in some level of formation across the United States of America right now. I mean, it's quite incredible.
2: But so far, it's not clear that the message is coming through to potential voters. At least not those in swing states that Bloomberg and Morning Consult polled recently. I asked Landry about that, too. We had a poll out of Bloomberg that we did with Morning Consult. I don't know if you saw the numbers, but what we found in this poll was that 42 percent of voters say that they trust Trump to handle infrastructure problems in the country and 38 percent trust Biden. What do you make of that?
1: I I don't know what to make of it. I mean, all I can tell you is that when President Trump was in office, he talked about passing an infrastructure bill and he couldn't and he didn't. So presidents for the last 50, 60, 70 years have been talking about doing this and could never get it done.
2: It's hard not to wonder how all of this will factor into the 2024 presidential race.
1: We didn't pass the bill for election purposes. I mean, everybody hopes they get credit for what they do. But this is a very, very deep dive. One of the other lessons you asked me about New Orleans was that when I was rebuilding the city, the question was to rebuild it fast or to rebuild it right. And to rebuild it right, sometimes it takes longer and it's harder and you got to dig deeper and people don't see it right away. But I think people will begin to see it.
2: Back in 2005, when Landry was in New Orleans boating around to rescue people from rooftops, he took in all the rubble and destruction. He took in the loss of life, the tragedy. But he also witnessed something else.
1: Amazingly, like ghosts, you saw people walking out of that water who had lost everything and they found a way to help somebody else who maybe a day before they would have walked across the street from. And I just remember at that time just it's searing into my my brain that there's really nothing we can't do if we do it together. That's not just a thing you say around the boy scout fire. It's a it's a real thing and that's why I know it's possible.
2: Thanks for listening to the Big Take from Bloomberg News. I'm your host today, Celaia Mosim. This episode was produced by Julia Press, Naomi Shaven, and Anna Mazarakis. It's part of a special series from our DC newsroom. Blake Maples is our mix engineer. Our story editors are Mike Shepard and Wendy Benjaminson. Sage Bauman is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week.